Hello, how are you doing? My name, uh, my name is Scott. I'm uh, here from Low Balance, and we are we are really, really pleased to have uh, an incredible speaker joining us um, from one of our favourite companies on the planet, um, Cloudian. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to steal your th thunder here, Neil. I'm going to let you let you jump and introduce yourself. Um, but we're going to have a bit of a chat around object storage. Um, that's definitely the more interesting, fun bit of uh, of our conversation. Um, and what I'd like to do is get to a point later on where we're talking a little bit about why object storage is brilliant, how it's used, and how and where we see that happening today uh, in businesses, and a little bit about why load balancing is important around that. But um, but maybe you could introduce yourself, Neil. Uh, sure. Hi. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's very early. Uh, so Neil Stobart. Um, I'm VP of System Engineering. Uh, you know the global team at Cloudian. So we look after the pre-sales function, the, the installation guys, the training aspect. So anything that's kind of technical conversation with customers or partners, you know, going out there, you know, I kind of look after that team. I've been in the storage industry for um, quite a long time now. Um, I can't even remember quite how long it is. I think 96 I started in IT. So what's that, about 28 years, 26 years. Not very good at maths either. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, obviously we've been um, work, working together for a little while and, you know, very, very pleased to be here. Super. Well, it's great to have you here. James, you've joined us as well today. Yeah, so James Loveday, uh, Neil and I have been talking for, I don't know, five years or so now. Um, so, we're, yeah. so we're well, well acquainted. Um, yeah, I'm one of the sales specialists here with a, with a strong focus on storage. So, yeah, glad to be here. Well, brilliant. Thank you, guys. And and it's great to have you both here because, as, as you say, I know you guys have worked extremely closely. Um, and obviously, our relationship with Cloudian is 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 growing um, and we seem to really complement each other's products, you know, and I think there's a there's a lot of a lot of benefits of what we do here at Load Balancer, um, but a huge amount of equal equal benefit the other way as well. So we see some brilliant alignment within object storage. But so I, I guess really the point of today's chat and what I'd love to hear from you, Neil, um, really is you are the specialists in object storage and you have that really found uh, grounding in, in understanding the technology and having the ability to convey the benefits of it and why it exists and where it's come from probably far better than we can. So I wondered if you might take a few minutes just to tell us a little bit around what is object storage and, and why it exists and, and maybe where it came from? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, it's, been, it's a technology that's been around for quite a while now. I mean, I used to work at Hatchy Data Systems in the uh, around about 2005, and they actually had a product then. Uh, EMC had a product out, um, you know, even before then. I think um, the, the first one was uh, EMC Centera. Um, and really, it came to market, I, I think at the time, they were trying to look at more sort of the, the protection of data in terms of the immutability, the worm aspect of it. The main organizations that were actually deploying that kind of technology 20 years ago really were using it for immutability. Um, the challenge with the, the, the I think at that time, the reason why, you know, we were not, you know, we weren't talking about object storage 20 years ago. I think it was kind of two key reasons. One, every object store that was built had its own proprietary API. So if you had a, a backup application, for example, that wanted to back up to object storage, it would have to, you know, code a proprietary integration point with every different vendor. So it's very different to things like NFS, SIFs and, you know, because you know traditional um, object storage protocols and tech connectivities 
you know the API, which basically is a you know it's a programming interface. It's very different, so you do have to do that that coding. So, you know, as more and more uh, entries into the object storage market came along, there's just more of these APIs, and there was some uh, industry initiatives to try and standardise, but that never really came off. And it wasn't until really Amazon, um, AWS, you know, they came to market with their S3 object storage service that then sort of changed the game and and you know following that train of thought you know what, what's happened is that the s3 api has become the standard for cloud storage object storage whatever you want to call it so i think that's that's really helped drive the popularity of it today the other key thing rolling back to 20 years ago was that actually there just wasn't that much data so you know, at Hitachi, we were selling block and file, standard block and file solutions. The drives were around about, I think the biggest drive, one terabyte, you know, the the, the one terabyte SATA drive had just come to market. Um, you know, now we're looking at, you know, 20 terabytes are on the market. And, you know, you talk to the disk drive vendors and they're just, I think they're talking about 50 terabytes in the next 10 years. So, you know the 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 amount of data now that's being created i mean we're now in the zettabyte era i think it was about 2013 um i think somebody had sort of looked at the amount of digital data that had been created and at 2013 that was the sort of the turning point the digital amount of digital data was 2013 was covering every amount of data that had ever been created by humankind that had been recorded in, you know, books, film, or, you know, all different types of media. And then from 2013, I think it's, we're now like three, four, it's, it's a ridiculous exponential growth that now, you know, we've got so much more data than was ever created before 2013. So it was like that, crossing that Rubicon a little bit. So at the time, I think object storage, you know, it is a, a platform that's designed for large scale data management. 20 years ago, it just wasn't quite there. So you know we're all now, and you know every every individual is a you know a video creator, is a photographer, is a music maker, and this has been driving you know data growth immensely, along with the introduction of IoT devices, you know machines that are creating logs and uh, analysis and, and data points. And the thing with machine data is it's just always on, it's just churning out data constantly. Whereas in the past, you know, data created by humans, it takes time. It takes time to write a Word document or create a PowerPoint presentation. So, you know, machines are just, you know, have just taken over in, in terms of data creation. I guess that's what's fueling that sort of ex exponential growth, isn't it? Is the fact that, is that, as you say, we had a, a limited number of human beings that were, that were, that were creating yeah. something. Now we've got a stupid amount of, of bots, systems, applications, log files, it's it's just that exponential growth, and I guess there's probably no curve to you know it's not gonna it's not likely to to calm down that that's only going to get yeah. worse. I mean I'm guessing your predictions are that that continues to exponentially grow. Yeah, I think it's kind of like the I think there is a, a name, but you know the Moore's law around uh, yeah. processing. It's it's kind of like that now with data creation because because the thing is now I mean we we about five or six years ago we were working with a vendor that made smoke alarms. Right. smoke alarm that you put on you know the top now you think about a large office building or somewhere like an airport how many of those devices there are i mean i mean there's there's tons and yeah. those those devices now aren't just dumb detect smoke and and bleep 
the Wi-Fi connected and they're sending health messages, they're sending warnings. So you think about just how many smoke alarms there are. And now as we're getting into the connected car era and the autonomy around cars, we've been we've been talking to one of the big car manufacturers and they they reckon they'll they'll make um generate one exabyte of data a year. Now I don't know rough sums, you know, for an exabyte of data to store that, it's going to be you're looking at about three or four hundred million dollars as a. That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? From log files, crazy. essentially, which yeah, is text, yeah, of course, you know? yeah. I feel as if I made the right decision on what career to get into. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. for growth. Well, and I think we feel mutual because obviously one of the great things about your stuff is is that I'm going to argue that that, that we bring some benefit. But before we get there. Um, I, I guess one of the one of the other points to talk about is you've given some great examples of why we would use our object storage, you know, solution around scaling data. You know, the, the absolute scale of it and how and how object storage is so much better aligned for that scale and growth requirement than traditional NAS and scale out NAS and things like that. That that, that you know, as an alternative. Um, where, where's most of the business today? Is it? I mean, obviously, in my world, from what I see, there's obviously a lot of backup. You know, people think object storage and immediately think backup. Um, and I guess a lot of the the options around kind of log files and grabbing data and 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 API integrations and you know ditching large you know machine learning data lakes that can then be accessed by some sort of AI platform. And I, and I guess all this stuff is the exciting stuff we read about in in you know in online and in the papers. And is much of that happening? Is a lot of it sort of traditional backup today, or is or are we seeing this sort of? Are, are, have we hit that point where data lakes and, and AI are becoming more mainstream around object storage? Uh, I, th I think mainstream. Uh, you know, that's an interesting word. But yeah, we're we're seeing those words. Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's kind of interesting because we, when when I joined, I mean, I've been cloudy in for seven years, and really, it's that was at the beginning of the sort of the new wave of object storage interest. Let's say, I think where, you know, the technology actually has a place in the market now uh, that it didn't twenty years ago, yeah. and and I think the, the you know there is a bunch of differentiations about um, object storage. One is the purest scale that you can grow to, so we can, you know, build a single storage platform beyond you know two or three exabytes you know that that is you cannot do that with other types of storage architecture you can't do that with traditional scale up architectures and if you look at all of the storage vendors they all have a, a you know a, a, some sort of scale out uh object type storage um solution so you know i, I think everybody is seeing this and it is the way forward you know i now look at storage in terms of this, this kind of two needs you either need something that's transactional very small uh, operations that need to happen very quickly and very very low latency or you know you're dealing with unstructured data which are files um, you know can be small can be large and I think that's where now the delineation is coming you look at the workload what's it generating really dictates what type of storage you should use and then obviously how much you, you're going to create so scale is, is one of the big big things about object storage the AP the use of an API rather than kind of dumb connectivity protocol like SMB or, or NFS or, or fiber channel or whatever. Because um, ultimately they just are using SCSI command sets and that really boils down to, you know, you can read data, you can write data. Hmm, it's, it's about it. Yeah, yeah. Metadata on a file system is relatively limited. It's limited to system 
your yeah. file level metadata so you know what what's the file name how big it is when was it created last access all that kind of kind of good stuff which is useful if you use it with the api and with with metadata with object storage it's kind of how we manage uh data access it's done by the metadata so metadata basically is they, they always reference um you know if you take your court you know in the bar and you put it in the cloakroom and you get a ticket the ticket kind of describes where it is on the on the rack and you know and it could be a big room right if it's a big event so basically metadata is what we you know what the customer presents to say i want my data back and then if you know we have a very large distributed database um that is very very scalable as well and that is kind of the secret sauce behind what we do at cloudian you know to get that ultra scalable um, aspect of the solution but within the metadata we don't just do system metadata you can also create your own user metadata so if i'm storing a, a you know a jpeg of my cat you know i can actually include that it's you know the cat in the garden you know with my son with my daughter i can actually put all that information in the metadata so later on i can do a much more advanced search rather than saying show me all my pictures from a certain date you know just just return you know pictures of you know uh, with my cat and my son and my daughter in our garden um so you can get very you know very complex queries built into that so that 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 sort of adds more intelligence to, to the data so you've got the api you've got your metadata and, and you've got your scale we also bring in the the concept of scaling not just in terms of the amount of capacity but also across different locations and regions so you know we can create a data center uh, a cluster in a data center let's say in the uk and we have customers that do this and i'll give you an example a customer i think it's about a 20 petabyte solution and they have a data center in london they have one in on the east coast of the us and west coast of the us and it's actually a single cluster with a single namespace so you can lose a data center and still the service will still be running but now you're getting you know re-diverted to get the data from the other sites yeah. so we've got some very strong data protection and replication technology that kind of is syncing the data up invisibly to the end user so in the past if you wanted to sync up all your days work and send it across to another region it was basically a batch process you would do that at the end of the night and then you send everything across at the other side they'd then work on it and do this the reverse you know coming back you know difficult time consuming prone to error now it's just it just happens well i think you hit one of the key points there which was that the you know certainly around um the the api bit just to drag just to talk to that bit a second i guess you're right actually thinking about it those sort of legacy file systems you're right we could save we could save a document you know we'd save what we knew as a file or a folder i guess and stick it on a on a on a NTFS partition or or an, or an XT partition, whatever we like. But but actually, what we're saying then is by using an API, our abilities or our options and our possibilities of what we can do with storage are only limited by the imagination of a developer. So or a team of people that are coming up with an application and how they interact with it may be something that we haven't quite yet conceived. But they could be thinking about some crazy way of using that API to to move files and data. And, and I guess the point is we don't have to think about files here at object storage. We're talking about binary blobs potentially, aren't we? Or moving data. We're not talking about our Word document. We're talking about some sort of binary 
blob of data and that could be anything right but it's a word document or a log file or a, you know but but it can be more than that it could be a single email for example that, yeah. that classified as an object it just depends on how you write the data down yeah. but but just going back to that point i mean the s3 api has something like 450 different verbs wow. that an, uh, an application developer can take and think what do i want to do with my data here you know yeah. you know so once I've written it, what then do I want to do afterwards? Do I want to change it? Do I want to move it? Do I want to protect it? And now you've got the ability to put data management in the control of your application. Whereas in the past, with your regular sort of um, storage arrays, if you wanted to use replication, that storage array had to have replication. When it was making a second copy to a second site, often the application wouldn't know about that it would only know the the first one and then it would be up to the storage array and some sort of manual process to work out. you know to tell the application hey now the data is over here yeah, it's not I over that's why i think amazon have really set the the standard because it's been born out of necessity right they've they've had to come up with these different scenarios because of the sheer scale of data uh, and i think that's why they've really set the the standard because they're forced to make these decisions and they're developing it into the S3 API. Mm. That's, that's and, and, and I guess the point from, from Cloudy's perspective, and, it, and it's a common thing across all of the object storage vendors, is to support S3 as an API. So um, so what, what was the reasoning behind not creating your own one? I mean, basically, I assume because we want standardization right across the industry. I mean, I, that would be the sensible yeah. thing, right? Well, it, was a, it was a gamble for us because... Um, you know, we, we I think we started developing about 20, 2011. Uh, and at that time, you know, AWS had just, you know, we're just starting. They weren't the, you know, the, the ubiquitous company that they are today. Yeah. So at the time, there was another uh, API called the Swift API. Right. Um, the, uh, the Storage Networking Industry Association were trying to get behind something called CDMI, which was, uh, you know, they were trying to push that as an open standard. Swift right. came out of the OpenStack uh, development community. But yeah. for a while there, Swift was very, and S3 were kind of neck and neck. Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, we, we, had a, we've got a, uh, we did have a competitor. They were actually um, acquired by another company, but they were called SwiftStack. And they'd, you know, guess by the name what they were doing. They were kind of focused on Swift. So our um, founders had decided that S3 is the future. Yeah. And yeah. They, they, they gambled. We gambled yeah. on and um or, or, made, or made an incredibly smart decision you know yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll leave that for you to decide but i think it was the right decision because now if you look at all of the all of the data management applications you know they support s3 so the, i mean there's still others around as well right you've got azure you know from microsoft you know then they have like there is your stack yeah. uh google have Google's very, very similar to S3. There's a lot of compatibility um, similarities, but again, it's, it's slightly different. But even some of the bigger clouds like um, like Oracle and IBM, you know, all what they're doing, they've all got behind S3. So one of the appeals, I mean, we, we deal with a lot of uh, with a lot of service providers who want to offer storage as a service, just like Amazon. Yeah. So it's easy for them to choose to work with us because we have you know fantastic scale but we also have a very very good implementation of the s3 api probably you know i, I would say it's the best on the market yes. um because what we do is we decided not to go proprietary route and put it in that 
it's almost that is our proprietary we're just going to follow what amazon do we're going to emulate exactly what they do so if an application says it supports aws s3 you know we can sort of claim compatibility as well and and generally that's the case it's very unusual that there's an application that doesn't work i mean for a little while we ran an s3 guarantee that you know we guarantee that we will work with your application and i think we got bored of that as a promotion after a few years but still sort of around that we are quite bullish in terms of we think it will it will work but but that that for me is is the the major benefit in a way for application developers is they can move up the stack into their application exactly how you know know exactly where the data is exactly that they can issue commands from the application to say do this do that and now we're seeing data sitting in an s3 format that can be part of an end-to-end -end workflow where you know the data might be ingested by nfs but now that it's in an s3 format you can have and especially in the amazon eco ecosphere where ecosphere you know you've got little lambda functions that can do things on on the data in place in situ or give you a view of i can look at a, a data object through a lambda function and it might look entirely different to how another set of users are looking at it through another lambda function so you get different lenses on your data sets and just to go back to your your question or or, or, or your point about the backup side we stumbled on backup as a use case right big storage we we were out there saying it's super intelligent storage it's great for analysts yeah. uh, analytical use cases and of course that is kind of it was early early days for a lot of that technology so we were uh, yeah. struggling to find those use cases but we yeah. were getting a bit worried and then yeah. all of a sudden um even backup came along we were just like, wow that actually object storage is fantastic for backup and especially when you put in the worm piece as well with the s3 object lock yeah i mean that's happy days because now i mean uh, you know we work a lot with veen because they have really good integration with object lock and now you you can just be guaranteed that your data is um, immutable your backup data so you can, you've always got a copy that you can go back to regardless of of any hack or attack but and yeah that's, so, risk to any that's been useful that's been useful to kind of keep going but it's not in, it's not particularly interesting to talk about I think no. it is when you think about the risk to businesses, though, from ransomware. You know, every business is at risk, either fiscally or otherwise, from having their data locked and being unable to access it. But if you look at industry verticals like healthcare, you know, it sounds extreme, but you're potentially affecting patient outcomes yeah. if some of that critical data, that operational data, and just just public perception. You know, the NHS have been uh, hacked. They've been, you know, it's been publicly um publicized that that they've been attacked by ransomware so for those kinds of organizations it's a little bit more at stake than perhaps the enterprise where it's more fiscal it's more operational um well so, i guess i guess that's also showing the maturity of object storage because as a techie is. i'm sitting here getting excited about machine learning big data ai all those sorts of things but actually as a as a as a as a more commercially orientated person you're thinking about those sort of sea level conversations about well actually it can be that you know object storage really exciting fun techies love it for this this and this but you're thinking about it from a commercial security scalability resilience and things what like happens that after you get them you know well, yeah. how can you use that to to your advantage or or as a means of protecting your, yeah. your business your organization yeah absolutely so at the time the the first um conversation with the customers around ransomware protection 
Yeah, that, that's why, you know, there's a lot of people talking to us about that. So, you know, we get in there, we, we sort the use case out, you know, we're ticking along, you know, running very nicely. And then, you know, we're then talking to customers about, well, what are the kind of data have you got? You know, do you want to sort of, you know, get more out of it? Um, and then we start to see, you know, more workloads coming on. So, so in a way, a backup is 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 the door opener because everybody understands backup. Yeah. Not everybody understands what you can get out of, you know, the data sets that you have because because there is a, an element of, you know, you got to work out what, what you want to start with, and then how you're going to extract that that out, and and that involves other technologies as well. But that that's something that, again, with the evolution of or the revolution, I suppose, of what Amazon are doing. You know, they are adding in more and more functionality. So we're now working on a project where we can bring that Amazon Lambda functionality. And they have a also a, there's an S3 API called S3 Select where you can do SQL queries on the storage platform on kind of like text data. You know, so in the application, you can say, you know, I've written all those log files. Now go and look for these strings of data okay that log file has got the string of data in is there an alert there that we want to put out and this is all just a function of the storage platform yeah and that's really powerful it's it's that data is driving business decisions right so the more you can do with it the more you can interrogate it so and so i guess that the piece where 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 we come into this conversation is is around things like high availability so you know and, and concern about the, the 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 accessibility to the data what happens if a cloudian backend node fails we talked earlier about sort of replication between different data centers that could be on different continents and and so i guess in in my mind as a as a technical person here at load balance when i think about the things that we bring towards object storage and what, how I feel like we benefit that product. Um, that is around things that, like global server load balancing is something that, that, we, that we are able to offer within our load balancing equipment where we can fail entire data centers to other data centers, even though the Cloudian backend nodes are replicating across the two data centers. You know, we can say, look, your, your user is sat in Europe and, and the best data center for that user to access, the best Cloudian object storage platform is in London, let's say. Um, and they're going to dynamically, we call that topology weighted, you know, so we're based on the topology of a client, we're going to end up in hitting the data center in, in, in London. Um, but if the client's in America, we wanted to go to the New York data center, you know, we have that ability to control that. Um, and I guess the other bits and pieces that are the, are the very obvious things about load balancing, you know, health checking, backend cloudian nodes, you know, identifying if there's a, you know, a hardware failure or something's gone wrong, rather than having um, traffic going to that failing node, which would continue to happen without something like a load balancer. Yeah. You know, we, DNS DN, Robin, exactly for example. So you would end up, let's say you had 10 backend Cloudian or object storage nodes, then then one in every 10 requests is going to fail without the requirement to have that load balancer sat in front of it. Because as soon as we can see that a node's down, we can stop that connection and pass the traffic through. So, so uh, I, I mean, I'm aware that nowadays very, it's very rare that an object storage provider puts out an object storage platform without sort of using a load balancer in front of it. Neil, I mean, is that is that fair? Yeah. So I and and really the reason behind that is to guarantee that that ability, right? Look at your, you know, what's the typical use case for a load balancer? It's usually where you know you need to distribute across multiple servers, and you kind of want you know those servers to 
you want to simplify that to the end user interaction. You know, you want there to be a single IP address or you want there to be, you know, one name that you're writing to or, you know, and, and in the background, there's lots of clever things going on. You know, we're exactly the same. You, you know, you, you could name any application that you can distribute, you know, high performance computing or distributed databases. It's essentially, you know, we are a, a cluster, a, a Linux cluster. Yeah. You know, database really, uh, big scale out distributed database. They can go across four thousand nodes in a single, in a single um, cluster. Yeah. So, you know, it just so happens that the application that we're delivering is is data management, it's storage, data storage. Yeah. So there's there's no difference between you know doing a, a data storage platform and uh, some sort of compute cluster. You know, and then the need for load balancing is still is still absolutely there. And we obviously within our our software within our solution, we've got the the, the capability and uh, you know the functionality to kind of distribute the data across all the nodes and keep it balanced and you know do all of the housekeeping all that sort of stuff. But I think when it comes to accessing it, that's where the load balancer comes into its own. Yeah, that's it. It's making those decisions, isn't it? It's that intelligent yeah, decision. It's based on more information of the infrastructure that that we're not actually seeing. Yeah, it's about user access, I think, from a load balancer standpoint, because you're doing a really good job of protecting and distributing that data. But it's about how do we ensure that those users, those client applications, always have access to it. You know, a simple case in point is backup. We talked about immutability and protecting an organization's data. If you're happily backing up in your, your data center and you have a failure event and the load balancer detects that, that backup will continue being ingested into the storage somewhere else. Mm. So it's impacting recovery point objective, recovery time objective, and making sure that that data is secure. Without that, you potentially got a period in time where your data is at risk. But that's where the load balancer is helping with the access part. I think there's, there's two really other two, two tiny little technical things that 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 um, that we've been talking about, and um, things like IP6 to IP4 translation. You know, suddenly suddenly we've got an ability for the load balancer to sit there on the internet talking IP6, but but talking to a legacy system at IP4, you know, or, 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 or a system at the, back, at the back end that the, the switching in the infrastructure, I think it's still running IP4. Yeah, I thought he was. Yeah, absolutely. That's fine. So there's, there's, there's one thing. And, and also uh, other little subtleties, like let's say you've got to do a recovery and you want to get that recovery. You want to do it. You've, you've used the object storage platform for backup and now you want to pull your data back, but you want to do it very, very quickly. Um, and there are technologies in our world, you know, around layer four load balancing, where we can pull data out of the backend object storage environment without going through the load balancer, which means that actually, whilst you can have a backup that's with your ingress traffic being load balanced out to backend nodes, we could also do at the point of backup. So I need a really, really fast backup. I need a really, really fast RTO. I've, you know, I've got a, uh, I've told my boss that we can recover all of our data in six hours, you know, and I know that if I actually try to pull it out, we might struggle to do that. Well, you could have a really fast system with load balancer where it becomes out of line, but is able to pull all of the traffic off of all of the backend nodes all at the same time, potentially. Do you know what I mean? And actually get the entire scale of your of your cloud and backend. So, so there's a lot of, I guess the point is a lot of um, benefits to both sides of this relationship, isn't there? You know, in terms of what in terms of what we can offer to object storage and what object storage can offer to load balancing as well. So, so it's a very natural relationship. Um, 
So I think it's because I think you bring a simplicity to the solution. Um, look, when you've got a when you've got a cluster, uh, you know, it's a large scale out cluster. The importance of the networking is just magnified. You're talking about kind of store, um, you know, traditional storage networks like like fiber channel or even dedicated iSCSI. Typically, people think about them and carve them off, and it's all segregated and it's all very very controlled. And actually pretty inflexible right because it is almost like one-to-one -one direct mappings to clients and servers yeah now we're in the world of everything's being networked over the internet you know and that was another another advantage of the the s3 api is that it's based upon http and https so it's it's routable it's it, it's designed it's it's a data storage protocol designed to be used across the internet and of course you know just what we've said over the last couple of years with the pandemic and everyone working from home now all of a sudden your file server sitting on your corporate network it's not geared up for now you know remote data you know file collaboration so again this is another another benefit it's almost like things keep happening that just screen more and more object object storage um I think you're in the right world, definitely. I think you're, I think we're absolutely in the right world, and that's probably the right word to leave it on, isn't it? More and more things are happening in the world that scream object storage, which is which is absolutely the best way to end the conversation. Well, great place so, to finish. Exactly that. Neil, thanks so much for all your time. Thank you. We know how, you, how much of a busy man you are, so really appreciate your time. It's lovely speaking to you. Um, we will continue speaking to you uh, going forward, and, and we look forward to to carrying on. Take care.